Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Welcome to this month's Outside the Box. We didn't actually end up doing one for September because we weren't in the studio together at the same time ever. Did we not do one? No. Oh, we did two in August. No, we just did one in August. We were going to do a second one and then it just, you know, things happened and it didn't. So we've got a lot to pile through. Mm. So maybe we'll end up releasing this in two, two different sections. I don't know. I said sections, but I said it like sextons. So maybe we'll release some of those as well. Uh, Just start with a bit of news. (laughs) Release the sextons. (laughs) Should we start with the good news or the bad news? Is the good news that you've stopped asking me and Jen to say hello because I was too too street for you? Oh, I'm sorry. I am joined by Jen. Hello. And Mickey. Swizz. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Swizz? I panicked, Jen. I panicked. Okay. Just go with it. So let's start with good news. There has been a trailer uh, uh, released for the Breaking Bad film, which is called El Camino. It takes place after the events of Breaking Bad, starring oh. Aaron Paul and other people who were still alive at the end of um, Breaking Bad, which isn't that Not many. many. But there is some chat about some other people being involved in it, potentially in flashback. So, yeah. Cranston, um, maybe? Cranston's been a bit cagey about it, but Mike is definitely apparently in it in flashback. And Skinny Pete, that is out on the 11th of October. How do you feel about that, Hannah? Um, to be honest, I don't, I didn't watch Better Call Saul either. I don't tend to buy it's into It's supposed to be very, very good, but I know, Saul. but I don't mm. tend to buy into spin offs so much because, especially if. I really liked early Breaking Bad and I was a really Same. early adopter and I was that person who went, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. And then 10 years later, people would say to me, oh, have you watched Breaking Bad? And you're like, fuck off. Like, seriously, <laughs> I watched it years ago. Anyway. And if you think she's overstating her reaction, she is not. <laughs> no, I had a T-shirt that said Pinkman Heisenberg 2012 during the 2012 election. That's how long ago I was watching Breaking Bad. Anyway. So it's no Deadwood film for you. No. The thing about Breaking Bad is I wasn't so keen on where it went in the end Same. anyway already. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know how much more of it I would want to watch. But that does weigh out some sad Aaron Paul news, which is that Netflix have announced that this series of BoJack Horseman <gasps> will be the last series of BoJack Horseman. I feel like you've come in today purely to upset me. Oh. I know. That's why I, oh, there was all that waffle about shall I have good news, shall I have bad news? Because you, dear listener, were not the face that I was worried about. What? Sorry, it's going to sound like a... Why? No clear explanation why. They feel like it's run its course. This series will be split in two, and the first part will be out at the end of October, and the second part will be out at the end of January. Again, Aaron Paul did put out a tweet that said that they tried everything to dissuade Netflix from cancelling it and failed, and that's the only actual opinion I've seen from anyone involved in it yet so I don't know that's quite recent news I think that was 20 I think it was yesterday um that was announced so that is bad news this probably won't perk you up Mick but it is good news there's a new Ken Burns documentary on the way it has already started in America I think he's great I mean it's not going to cheer anyone up I wouldn't have thought (laughs) it's about it's about the history of country and western music oh okay well in that case yeah I think it's great I think it will be great I love Ken Burns I mean that's not that cheerful 
I'm only really interested in things that happened before Outlaw Country. Outlaw Country and before. So that's like Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. I don't, when it gets to Taylor Swift and Garth Brooks, I'd probably start watching. Yeah, I think that would be really what good. About Billy Ray Cyrus? Mm. You strike me as a secret yeah. Billy Ray Cyrus fan. Mm. Oh, good God, no. He will be... Cheers. Oh, stop it. <laughs> cowboy boots. Hmm. I've got three pairs of cowboy yeah. boots. Yeah, yeah, so that's coming at some point on BBC Four. I, they've been a bit, a bit cagey about a release date, but they are re-showing the Vietnam documentary, which I think is in advance of this. So I think that's on about episode seven at the minute. When that ends, this will start. And the other news that I have seen is that there, and you may or may not be interested, I'm not that bothered, there is going to be a, a Gavin and Stacey Christmas special announced by members of the cast on social media. Never seen it. It's good, actually. It's very funny. Oh, there you go, then. You could be excited about that news. But, it's, um, but the, the best people in it are not. Gavin or Stacey? Oh, I, I mean, I find oh, Stacey fairly. to be a desperately irritating character. Yeah. In fact, I actively dislike yeah. her. But when Julia Davis turns up, she's always funny. Oh, Rob Brydon. And Rob Brydon is Rob Brydon's very good in it. Uh, um, Ruth Jones is excellent in it. And also James Corden's in it anyway. Moving mm. on. Hannah, have you got any news for me about the juice yet? Yes, I do. And I don't. It is out in America already. They are still being cagey about when it's happening here, but it will be soon. It will, it will be soon. Okay. There's no way Sky will have invested money in buying it for everybody to just turn around and have watched it all already on streaming services. So, yes, it will be coming soon. And I have um, not seen any of it yet. So we'll talk about it next time. Mm-hmm. And the last thing to say is in August, I think, it was the 50th anniversary of uh, British troops going into Derry and then basically staying there forever. So there's lots of troubles, stuff available on all sorts of places. There's a great documentary on Netflix. Dolores Price, who um, was a convicted bomber. I Dolores, that's what it's called. I think it did a relatively good job of explaining her decisions without excusing her actions. Also on the iPlayer, you will find uh, My Journey Through the Troubles, which is um, basically an extended interview with the Northern Ireland correspondent Peter Taylor, who talks about 50 years of covering Northern Ireland in his career. And again, very, very interesting. So that's news for you. Still got loads of stuff to rattle through. So I thought I might rattle through some stuff that I have seen that I'm pretty sure you guys haven't. Has anyone watched The Capture? No. no. Okay, BBC One. I think we're currently up to about episode five. You'll find it on the iPlayer. It is one of those silly, big budget BBC thriller, you know, the way the bodyguard was and things like that. It's, I find it to be exceptionally silly. It stars Holiday Granger, who's normally quite good, but for some reason is holding her face in Instagram face in this whole thing. And I find it really alarming. That's exactly it. That's what she looks the whole way through it. And I find it really upsetting. It also has Ron Perlman in it, which explains why my mum <laughs> said to my brother, what's the name of that fella that's in Angels of Death, but also is like the Hulk, but red? <laughs> that is the best description of Ron Perlman ever. Yeah. I mean, it's very slick. It's not for me. Also, we're probably really late on the mark of saying that Game Face has had a second series, and it was good. Mick, did you watch the... Further Adventures of Orlando the Cat. I have seen the first series, which I liked enormously, but I haven't seen the second series yet, although I do need to catch up with Orlando. (laughs) Yeah, um, obviously, Roisin Connerty's sitcom about Marcella, whose life has, well, is chaos and 
all of the ramifications uh, around that. I, what I really like about about Game Face is that, you know, there's a lot of conversation about whether or not female characters are allowed to be unpleasant and horrible and mm. all of those things. And we have obviously decided that, yes, they are. And therefore, we have had a sudden glut of female characters that are unpleasant and unlikable. And Marcella is actually not unpleasant and not unlikable when she's not a fuckwit and she's not tremendously selfish. She just gets pissed and forgets about stuff. And that I find quite refreshing that there's actually a character you can like out there. I'm not saying there shouldn't be characters that you don't like because there should be, but they can't all be like that. Yeah, she's flawed in a very relatable way, isn't she? And I also love that, and this goes for pretty much everything that Roisin's in, she is not afraid to look like a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. But she doesn't. She doesn't get into these situations where it's like this sitcom convoluted sense of oh, and then the vicar turned up. It's just I said it when I was pissed, and then I forgot that I said it, and now you've, I've invited you to this thing. It's not convoluted. I I I like it a lot. The exactly world machine. How it was described to me by a friend yesterday. Relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Like she has a, a, a fevered cheese dream where she thinks she's living in a skip. <laughs> Brilliant. So, shall we move on to something that I know somebody else, else has watched? Let's go to Netflix. Let's watch Mindhunter, because Mickey and I were excited about the arrival of Mindhunter. And then... Oh, God, yeah, I forgot I watched Mindhunter, which pretty much is my review. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, Mindhunter came back then. Yeah. That good, eh? Well, it was very, very entertaining. It is, without a doubt, an entertaining series, really watchable. Just, it felt a bit lackluster this time round for yeah. me. I think it had some flaws. And you can't keep characters in the same dynamic because that's, you know, terrible for... That's the death of, of all drama. If nobody changes, if nobody develops... if But it seemed to me that the point that I really liked about Mindhunter was I really liked it when you had Holden, who is played by Jonathan Groff, who is, if you don't know, the voice of King George III on the Hamilton soundtrack. No, can't do it. You'll Uh, be back. Who was hopelessly enthusiastic and really quite deferent to these criminals. And then Bill had no time for them and none of this bollocks and didn't really understand why he was there. So you would have that dynamic and then you would have somebody having the time of their life playing this criminal. Yeah. And that only happened once in this whole series that that magic came back. And it was magic when it happened. Absolutely. Because the scene in which Damon Herriman was Charles Manson and Holden was so overexcited he'd gone out and bought a new microphone and then Bill got the only... Because the thing about this is it's, it, it, Mindhunter was funny and this series wasn't funny. No, and the only bit funny. of funny happened when he said, I want to talk about the past with you. And and um, uh, Damon Harriman went all, oh, what's the past? What's the future? Is all this long line. Let's talk about now. And Bill goes, I'm more interested in then. <laughs> it's, it's so great. And that's the only... And that episode, Andrew Dominic, great like director directed that and it also contained something that made me feel uncomfortable about myself as a human being is that they accidentally basically bump into one of their previous um i was excited too um one of their previous interviews ed kemper and who is a horrible man who does horrible horrible things and when he appeared on screen i went oh 
good. And then I thought, what is wrong with you? Why are you excited about seeing him? I think it's all credit to Cameron Britton, who plays Ed Kemp. He's incredible. But yeah, you totally forget that, oh, he murdered people, cut off their heads and then fucked their heads. Oh, I forgot. And one of them was his mother. Oh, we've all done it. Yeah. Wowzers. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the last episode of the Standard Issue Podcast. I thought some of the stuff about the Advantage Child Killings was great. Because they were Carl Franklin episodes, the one where they had the march and it was actually shot like in that sort of bleached out way that it looked like documentary footage. I thought that was really great. I thought the the June Carroll, who plays the mother, who is the, basically leading the campaign to get this fucking sorted, I thought she was amazing. I thought the guy who played Wayne Williams was really good in the last episode that he was in as well. But this series just didn't grab me as much. It's really interesting what you just said about the way they filmed that march, which was great. It was really engaging and it felt like you were watching it on telly. Yeah. As it happened, I suppose, clearly I was watching this on telly. It's quite weird with Mindhunter. There were a few little filming gimmicks that they use once and then never use again. Yeah. Like all of a sudden you're going through the door with the camera, but that only happens once. And I'm like, it felt like there was more follow through of that kind of clever put you on the ground floor Mm. with these criminals in the first season that they just sort of half-heartedly occasionally do in season two yeah and so maybe that's another reason i felt less engaged with it also i mean and and mindhunter certainly not the only people who've done this but it it let it it left on a massive cliffhanger i mean they had done something awful and been grassed up for it and who was going to lose their job it was all hanging there and that all got wiped up that mess got wiped up a bit too simply for my liking to be honest there wasn't even really ongoing tensions within the group that there should have been, given that. I think Wendy's plot line was all over the place. I thought it was quite good that she got taken to the party and basically everyone was just, despite the fact that she was the smartest person in the room, everyone was talking about her like she was potential fuckmate, which was quite distressing. But on the other hand, I'm fed up of Wendy's love life being the only plot that Wendy really has, which drives me a bit mad. Do I mean Wendy? What's her name? Wendy Carr. Yeah, that's Anna, it. Anna Tor. Yeah, I found I found her story really dull because her love life was the main crux again. Yeah. And I get that they're sort of like she's a lesbian, but she's in the closet. Or she's gone back in the closet. She's yeah. out where she used to live and she's she's not told them. But I found Anna Torv's acting odd. She just always has the same face, like she's looking down her nose at people. And I found it really off-putting. In the same way that I found Holt McCallany's Bill Tench this time, just angry all of the time. Mm. Just and there was no real explanation. There is there's the ongoing storyline to do with his adopted son that would explain why he's stressed out. But he's angry before that even starts, and he isn't he isn't like that in the first one. No. I didn't like him, and he's supposed to be a bit likable. Yeah, you know, he's very everyman. And isn't Holden's he? Yeah. the one that's out there in crackers, and yeah. you're like, what is going on with him? And Tench grounds it. And I just, yeah, I didn't have anyone to follow. And because they'd split them up, it was, yeah. They did feel like they were split up, that they weren't actually a functioning team. Mm. So, Mm. yeah, I was a bit disappointed by that. Nonetheless, Mindhunter is still better than a lot of stuff that's on TV. So um, if you are interested in watching it, I still think the first series certainly has some really interesting stuff to say. Yeah, definitely. So staying on Netflix, I thought we might have a chat about Unbelievable. Uh, which is quite literally that. It is a eight-part contained miniseries, as in there won't be another one, based on a true story about rapes that took place in Washington and Colorado earlier this century, starring Tony Collette, 
Caitlin Diva and Merritt Weaver. Oh, I fucking love. I mean, I do like the other two, but Merritt Weaver, I proper love. Uh, Mickey, you've seen this, so I might let you start. I have seen this. I kind of think it should be compulsory viewing for everyone. It's astonishingly good. It's incredible. I said to a friend the other day, I said, there's this incredible series on Netflix called Unbelievable. And he said, that is quite the sentence. I'm like, that is quite the sentence. It is so beautifully done with such a gentle touch when it's looking at sexual assault. So it's, is it Susanna Grant? Who's yes. the showrunner? Yeah. And she did Erin Brockovich many, many years ago, mm-hmm. which again is a tr- based on a true story. It's very female led. It's very sensitive around sexual assault in the way it shows it. She shows it in flashbacks. She never sensationalizes it, or they never sensationalize it. And it's it. quite literally flashback, as in flash, quite often, especially with Caitlin Deaver's character. It's literally just a sniff of it, isn't it? Yeah, like Polaroid snapshots yeah. um, or little clips of video, yeah. um, which having been assaulted myself was how I remembered it. So actually it was very interesting seeing it filmed that mm. way. I've got to say that I nearly didn't get through the first episode. That first episode is so raw and made me so angry and it's so well done. So no Merritt Weaver in the first episode, no Tony Collette in the first episode. It's all Caitlin Deva and her character Marie and just not being believed by the police. She's raped, and she, the police come around, and she tells them, and they decide that they're not really going to believe her. They're, they don't really go through procedure very well. They interview her really insensitively. I was just shouting at my TV screen, get a woman officer in! Yeah, well, the, the repetition really works as well. The amount of times she just gets asked to go over it again. She's done. One more she's, time. She's, and she's just done with talking about it anymore, isn't she, at that point? Because every time she tells the story again these flashbacks happen because obviously she's having to relive it and after four interviews she's then handed a bit of paper and told to write it down in your own words and I was I was just oh it's it's so heartbreaking so not I'm not someone who gets triggered by stuff at all but I could understand that people who might have been assaulted been sexually assaulted been raped could really struggle to get through this series but it is so well done and then that absolutely shows the difference when Merritt Weaver's character comes in mm. and interviews a rape victim in a totally different way. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. The acting is impeccable. I recommend going and reading T. Christian Miller's and Ken Armstrong's original article um, on ProPublica and the Marshall Project, which was Pulitzer Prize winning. Mm. Um, from where it all stems from, it's it's absolutely astonishing television. Agreed, and I think it it kind of highlights two issues with the way that rape and sexual assault is uh, is dealt with. Number one, the um, what you might want to call the worth that's put on the victim. So, you know, Caitlin Davis, she's in care. She's, she's... What you'd call a troubled kid. Yeah, she's got no one. She's got no backup. She's got no support network. She's, she's basically on her own. But also, it's to do with the luck of the draw, and that's to do with the copper that answers the phone call that day and goes to visit her, and how those two things combined can absolutely destroy the chances of that case ever going to court. And yet, if Merritt Weaver's character had turned up for her, then maybe things would have played out very, very differently. And the fact that it's true 
also says this isn't some hypothetical musing on what goes wrong. This is literally what goes wrong oh, when, yeah. when it happens to women. I have to say, uh, Caitlin Deaver, uh, who I first saw in Justified, Justified, when she was like a little girl, basically. Uh, yeah, she how was, old was Loretta? I think like she was about or 14 or 15 yeah. when Caitlin Deaver's played it. And I wrote a review in which I compared her to uh, Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone and, you know, how you just saw Jennifer Lawrence in that and you just thought, oh, fuck, you're great. You are going to be great. And how I thought Caitlin Dave was, you know, absolutely brilliant at 15. And, yes, she is the woman that she promised to grow into She's in this. She's just utterly She's heartbreaking. Terrific. She can capture Marie's panic and... Anger and sadness and confusion with barely a, a glance, yeah. a little look. It's incredible. Yeah, because it's one of those roles where Marie herself is playing a role a lot of the time herself. She's pretending to be okay a yes. lot of the time. So she has to play someone who's not okay, pretending to be okay. And she does a really great job of it. I've got to say, when you're talking about it, because of the the, the importance of the, the topic, it sounds really, really heavy. And of course, mm. it is like without a doubt, heavy watching and difficult watching at times. But it is also incredibly entertaining. Yeah. The sisterhood of the two cops when they come together, yeah. Tony collects, like, no-nonsense, no-bullshit, yeah. brilliant, like, hard-nosed cop and um, Merritt Weaver's sort of more gentle approach. Yeah. And they just work so beautifully together on the screen and as the cops' partnership. That's yeah. so good. And there is that fantastic moment where, um, where when it ends, and I mean, I won't tell you where it ends, but obviously it does end. That's not a spoiler. And Merritt Weaver says, you know, and she starts to say, some, so starts to say something and Tony, Tony Collette's character says, uh, oh, we're not going to do that women bonding bullshit, are we? And it's so great because I think it, it genuinely shows that, you know, you can be on the other side of those cops but it doesn't mean that you're a generic human being you can still be women can still be different and still feel the same about about how these women should have been dealt with well that's a big part of the show as well or a big part of the story is that when marie is doubted by her foster mums who clearly really really care about her but she's acted up she's been a troubled child as we said before and they start to decide that she's not reacting in the way that they reacted when it happened to them. Therefore, she might be making it up. And it is that whole thing of every person is different, so every woman's experience of this will be different. Her reaction to it will be different. Yeah. And that was something that the police totally overlooked with Marie. And there's a really terrific scene with Brent Sexton, who is also actually, going back to Mindhunter, he has a great cameo in Mindhunter as a clan hunter, and he's terrific in that, and he's terrific in this has a scene in which he won't stay on his own with Caitlin Deaver because he doesn't trust her not to say something about him because he has been told that she has made this up. Well, she's told and him. And she's told him that she's made, made it, it up. up. And then he is like the closest thing she's had to a dad, but he can't stay in the same room as her on his own because he doesn't want her to turn around and say that he did it because he would lose his own family. And yeah, it's really... It's it's it shows just how far those ripples go. It's not just one person's life that gets affected by mm -hmm. it. Yeah, also, terrific job, Netflix. It's absolutely so, terrific. so good. And it's fiercely feminist. Yeah, absolutely. And if that puts you off, then you're probably not listening to us, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but not only showing situations that affect women so much more than they affect men, but also just without 
any sort of comment just showing women who are absolutely capable as hell, mm. comfortable in their own skins, getting on with the job, as well as having a family and doing other stuff. It's it's astonishing. It's astonishing. It's, I watched it with my fella and, you know, he's pretty open-minded and he's a feminist and he just kept going in the first episode, oh my God, this is horrible, this is horrible because it is so, it is so horrible. And I just said did you know that men are more likely to be raped than be falsely accused of rape? And he looked really shocked. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, but that's not the story we're sold. My, my only concern, and I said this to Hannah when we had a very brief chat about it, is that the people who should watch this won't watch it. Mm. The people who are watching it and might have been through something like that. It's, it's a hard watch sometimes. And also, and I don't think it's a spoiler because it's a true story, they catch their man mm. and he goes to jail for 327 and a half years, which is a very unusual outcome in a rape case, mm, even yeah. a serial rapist. And I would be sad if people went away going, God, that's horrible, but at least it gets taken to court and justice is served because that is so, so rarely the case. But then don't you also think it's important to show that that is possible? Yeah, oh, so it's that still people brilliant. And there, there is will some, report. There is right. something yes. else that happens in this that I had to then go and check was real because I thought it tied things in a bow a little too neatly. And that was the reaction of the police who knew that they were wrong and who actually took responsibility for being wrong and yeah. handling it mm. wrong. And I thought, yeah, it's got to be made up. But apparently it's not. Apparently they did take everything on board. They did apologise to her I mean too little too late but you know but how often do the police hold their hands up that's the hope in this somewhere someone knows that that change is possible and I suppose that's 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 the if you want a happy ending that is for me the happy ending in this yeah I'm sorry following Ken Armstrong who's one of the original journalists on Twitter and he is still in contact with Marie which is the the real life woman's middle name and that's what they go by in Unbelievable and he wrote this amazing thread where he said that Marie had watched it and she'd phoned him and she had found it very hard to watch and it had made her cry a lot Um, but she thought they couldn't have got her story better she was like really impressed with how they'd handled it and she said the scene where her rapist gets sent down because she wasn't in the courtroom to see it happen, gave her some sort of closure, finally being able to watch that on television. I've got to say, it it affected me, not necessarily in a positive way. I felt Mm. pretty shitty for a couple of days after it, just because it's it's horrible that this happens so often. Um, But it is, oh, it's so good. It's the best television I've watched in such a long time. Quite the endorsement. I mean, it's the year for it, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's certainly the best television I've watched since Chernobyl, which was actually quite recent. Um, You know, Chernobyl was predominantly a story about men. Yeah. And and this is predominantly a story about women. So, yeah, they're allowed to be um, different but equal in that sense. Okay, uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about three more things. God, we've got a lot to get through. (laughs) What are you doing on November the 18th? I'm thinking of, and I want you to brace yourself for this, Hannah, but I am thinking of talking to some men. Ah. Wow. Any yeah. men in particular? Handpicked three. Craig Parkinson, that's right. He of unbuttoning and buttoning his jacket on Line of Duty and also the amazing Two Shot podcast. 
Nish Kumar, he of the Mash Report and General Funniness, and Mr Joe Lysett. He of hilarity ensues whenever he is in a room. And fantastic. What I can only describe as blouses. He does have incredible blouses. What do you think the chances of getting all those people in the same room at the same time are, Mickey? I'm glad you've asked, Jen, because I've been working very hard to make this happen alongside my (laughs) lovely colleagues, Jen and Hannah, who you may know well. And uh, it is going to happen at King's Place on November the 18th, which is International Men's Day Eve. It's going to be mint. Get your ticket. Yeah, if you want to get to www.standardissuepodcast.com, you will find details of that and our many other live shows. I love that you always say the www. I know. I I interviewed Sam Avery, another man, once, and he said it, and it just made me laugh. So I like to put it in. Okay, so welcome back. Let's talk about some comedies after the uh, gut wrench that was uh, dramas. Yes, please. There's a new series of Motherland coming. I'm not entirely sure when it is, but it's going to be very soon because I've seen it on the preview service. I watched three episodes on the preview service. Motherland, 30-minute sitcom written by Sharon Horgan, Holly Walsh and The Linehans and starring Anna Maxwell-Martin, Diane Morgan and Paul Reddy, I think. It might be Reedy. I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, he's only a month, am I? Yeah, it doesn't matter. As, you know, mothers struggling to get rounded about their day-to-day. I've seen the trailer where she tries, she goes too late to go shoe shopping, and it's very funny. Yeah, and also, she's a brilliant bit in it where she said, um, well, she's asked if she wants a promotion at work, which isn't really a promotion. It's actually just more work for no extra money, and she's discussing it. This is Anna Maxwell-Martin's character, Julia, and she's discussing it with a friend of hers. And she said, oh, come on, I'm just not, I'm, my kids are already suffering from entry-level motherhood. <laughs> do they need, like, <laughs> do they need it to get worse? And so I think it, it's poking holes in the facade that it's possible to have it all, I think. And uh, uh, Diane Morgan is absolutely cracking in it. I think Diane Morgan turns up a lot on my TV, and I think this is amongst the best stuff that she does. Are we going to lead neatly on to? Well, yeah, I thought we might lead neatly on to two other sitcoms now actually both fall into the the unicorn that is the 45 minute comedy which, sadcom as well yeah which are quite rare there aren't many series that actually generally there's a long tradition with television comedy is half an hour and drama is an hour i mean it's if it's on the bbc if it's on channel four that is 45 minutes basically some Things do break the exception of that. Uh, Fresh Meat was 45 minutes. Also, Shameless was 45 minutes. Shameless is also closely linked to this. But both of those step more into the field of drama, so dramedy, as it were. This is on Which Brit- is also a type of camel. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a, a, but this is on British television. On American television, 45 minutes is sort of a little bit more accepted now to me if you've got 45 minutes rather than 30 minutes it's all about what you do with those extra 15 minutes that that i'm judging you on a different level than i'm judging motherhood which only has 28 minutes to do what you've got 45 minutes to do And, and to me the thing that the best use of that time is and freaks and geeks is the perfect example of that if you've got that extra time don't spend it on plot, spend it on character development, those yes. 15 minutes. Yeah. Freaks and Geeks does this amazing thing where it spends time with those characters alone. Like you get these, there's, there's, in that epic episode there's about Bill, like you get Bill just sitting eating a sandwich watching the television, like just for about three minutes. And it's really great because you get to know Bill in that time and it makes it like 
worth it. I would say we're going to talk about Frayed. We're going to talk about Brassic. I think I might start with Frayed because you've watched it, Mick. But I would say of the two, it's Brassic that spends that time better than oh. I think that Frayed does. I oh. think Frayed crams more plot in in those 45 minutes. And that's not necessarily the best use of that time. Oh. Let's start with Frayed. It's a mixed Sky, ABC, ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Company, uh, co-production uh, written by Sarah Kendall, who is Australian, hence the, um, hence the co-development thing, because it's mostly set in Newcastle, and that's Newcastle in Australia, not Newcastle in England, set in 1989, and it is Merman, is the company behind it. You will see it on Sky. It is six episodes, which is the sitcom format. I liked it. Oh, that sounds I like thought, it's got reservations. Well, okay, so... I loved it. Let's start with the fact that what I said about Rasheen Connerty playing a nice mm-hmm. woman, a nice woman, and nice women being quite rare. Here again, we have another woman who is, you know, a bit of a dick. But the odd thing is, is that how long she stays a bit of a dick, it never really un, it unravels a bit too easily for me. I actually don't think that Simone smash Sammy is ex- is tremendously well developed as a character. I think she's interesting, I think she's funny, but I actually don't think she's particularly well developed as a character. I think we could have done some time with some time on our own with her. That's a character played by Sarah Kendall. I did think that there's a lot to enjoy in this. I think there's a lot of unfamiliar faces, which I really enjoy because then you're like, you're not going, oh, look, it's so-and-so playing exactly the same character again. About one of the only faces I did recognise in this, um, apart from in, when it was based in the UK, when we had Robert Webb and uh, Kerry Godleyman and who, uh, Rufus Jones all turned up in that first episode. But Diane Morgan plays an expat who is over living in uh, Newcastle and she is great. But you tell me what you think, Nick. That might be better. I thought it was great. Now, I've been a huge fan of Sarah Kendall's for ages and been to a lot of her shows up in Edinburgh. And the character of Simone slash Sammy is sort of Sarah Kendall yeah. when she's telling it in the fact that she she always says that she was an incredible liar. She just would lie and it would get her into trouble. So all of her hour-long storytelling shows up in Edinburgh were about a lie that got out of hand. Yeah. And so for me, it was an extension of that. Yeah. So maybe I was geared up more to sort of go with that premise. I just thought it was really funny. thought it was raucous and silly and pushing the edges. And I thought it was also really dark and sad. I thought all the performances were impeccable. I just, I loved it. I I would rarely watch six hours of telly in a row or like yeah. whatever, 45 minutes times six is. But yeah, just let's watch another one, let's watch another one, let's watch another one. I thought it was another slam dunk for Merman. Just yeah, like I mean, a Merman's really brilliant female-led comedy that doesn't fall into any sort of trope. I just thought it stood on its own two feet. It wasn't like anything I've really seen before. I, I really loved it. And I also thought it covered a lot of ground. It covered some really dark topics. That's what I'm saying. I and think I covered felt... too much ground, but okay. not in, an up de- in an up enough depth. Well, I disagree with you. Okay. Um, that's fair, no, but that's fair enough. It covered lots of stuff, and I thought I came away thinking that I got to know all of the characters really well, too. And that's something I actually said out loud to my fella. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I feel like I, all of them got a fair shot at stuff, and you got to spend time with all of them and get 
to go on their wanky, but their journeys with them. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I didn't think it was bad. I just, it, it didn't grab me. I think it suffered from not having a particularly good pilot. Its first episode is, is I thought, was a bit all over the shop. And therefore, I think, didn't make me go, oh, I want to watch another one of those immediately. But I did watch them all, obviously. And in quite short time over the weekend, I watched them. And there is a lot to enjoy there. I thought her brother was terrific. Um, Jim, I thought that he's he was... He's been home and away. Did he? Yeah. Well, you see, I don't watch that. Who? But Can't remember his character name. Who knows? The whole, uh, a lot of the point of it being set in 1980s Australia is to sort of combat that neighbours home and away thing. When actually, if you're in a small town like Newcastle, which Simone, when she's been Simone, not Sammy, her real name is like she calls it Sydney and it's not it's three hours away from yeah. Sydney is it the city uh, but no it's the other way it's like the the back of back end of nowhere but foot nowhere and it was full of like heroin addicts and stuff and like yeah. no jobs loads of unemployment so there's a real dark side of that time in Australia that yeah. I don't think has been shown before agreed it left on a a real cliffhanger so we will wait and see almost a literal cliffhanger in that it just panned out to see um so we will wait and see what happened but i am again delighted to see more merman doing well and putting more women in or not just women fronted stuff but women written stuff women written is that a word i think we'll go with it <laughs> uh stuff that's written by women so last thing brings me to brassic jen have you seen that i have not Okay, Mick, you haven't yet. I've seen the trailer and it's definitely on my to-watch list. I saw a trailer and I thought it looked pretty awful, so if you're going to tell me otherwise, then... Sky One, written by um, the terribly charismatic Joe Gilgan and Danny Brocklehurst, who is responsible for a number of TV dramas and comedy dramas, most notably Shameless. Now, this is so similar to Shameless that I actually had to go, who else has been involved in this? In fact, I would say in its first episode, again, it suffers from not a great first episode. It literally opens with the, hey, this is so-and-so and and he does this, that, that Shameless used to open with. Do you remember? This is lit, Pete stealing stuff, and they oh, have yeah. him running. Yeah. Oh, like in the montage at the beginning? Yeah. yeah. It well, kind they of didn't, like, do a, this is so-and-so over. I thought you meant, like, a, a, a narrated bit. There was a narrated bit at the start of Shapeless. Yeah. In the, when it, in the first series, in the opening montage, there was a, there was a narrated bit. Yeah, they'd be like, this bit. is so-and-so, and he's yeah. just, yeah. But a very similar thing with this, and I thought, oh, God, is this going to be just, like, a, a, a Shapeless sort of... That's what I thought it looked like regurgitation because there were, I have to say the first two series of Shameless I thought were amazing and then I thought it went downhill very quickly agreed after that. so um, I was a bit put off by it and also I was a bit put off by the fact that Shameless used to uh, present all crime as victimless which I don't agree with okay so starring Joe Gilgan Damian Maloney Michelle Keegan who I am not entirely sure who she is Coronation Street, Coronation Street. Mm. and uh, Ruth Sheen um, Ruth Sheen and Michelle Keegan probably the only female characters in this but I'm not sure that matters so much because I think this is about lads and it's written by lads about lads. So I think it's fine. I like it a lot. I mean, Joe Gilgan plays uh, a character who is bipolar. And, he is bipolar, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Mm. And so it's obviously comes from personal experience. 
It comes from being hard up. It comes from knowing people who... Small town Lancashire as well, you yeah. know, which... And I feel you, man. I feel yeah. you. It is good. I don't want to say anything to spoil it too much. You will, it, you will find it like shameless. It spends a lot of time with Joe Gilgan on his own. And Joe Gilgan is very likeable and I'm quite happy to spend time on him just just looking at fairy lights or doing whatever it is that he's doing. I think it has a tendency towards sentimentality that can sometimes become a bit mawkish. And it has a couple of plots which are almost exactly the same as plots that have previously appeared in Shameless. But they will be the two flaws that I would give it. Apart from that, I think it's really, really good and I think that you will love it, Mick. Oh, awesome. I shall keep it on my to-watch list. Yeah. Jen, what have you been watching if you haven't been ploughing through this? I have been watching been watching The Affair, which I've talked about before on this podcast, and uh, each time I talk about it, my assessment of it is slightly worse. Why do you keep watching <laughs> I it? I don't know. I can't stop. This series really has properly jumped the shark for me, but I will still watch it anyway. Anyway, I don't want to talk too much about that. What I have been watching and have enjoyed is... The new series of Top Boy. I've the, seen billboards and adverts for that everywhere. Yeah, Kano's been Kano and Ashley Walters have been opposite my flats for weeks. They've gone now. Um, anyway, so the little bit of history behind it because it is fairly integral. So obviously, it used to be the Channel Four drama written by Ronan Bennett, I believe, and I think it was directed by Yan. Yan, I want to say Yan Demarge, but I don't think that's how you say his name. I don't actually know who it's directed by this time. I don't know if it's the same person, Soz. Anyway, it got axed, basically, by Channel 4. And then uh, Canadian hip-hop artist Drake watched it on uh, Netflix and was like, yeah, we need that. That's what we need to bring back. I'm going to make it happen, because Drake is a really, really embarrassingly, like like a sort of anglophile and like into the sort of uk grime slash hip-hop scene to a level that i find awkward to witness if i'm (laughs) honest anyway so i thought um because i think there always have been and there still are quite a lot of uh uk sort of musical artists in top boy uh such as kano who plays one of the main guys sully and uh obviously ashley walter's previously of Asher D, so solid crew fame. Anyway, I thought this is going to be shit. This is going to be really, really fucking awful because Drake is executive producing it. He's a bit awkward himself. Uh, this is going to be proper dog shit. And I was wrong. So what's the story? So the story is, so the previous two series have basically been, it's about like gangs on an estate in Hackney it's basically about the fictional summer house estate in Hackney where they are in part of a gang and there's all sorts of shit going on and where we last left it at the end of series two was Deshane who is Ashley Walters' character who's basically being like shot at by some Albanians or something and and he's had to fuck off because he's in a world of trouble so we opened this series he's in Jamaica sort of wanting to come home, sort of out of exile, as it were, uh, still getting himself in a world of trouble, which necessitates him having to come back to London. Anyway, his sort of um, previous like right-hand man, as it, as it were, Sully, played by Kano, has been in prison, and he's just out of prison, and in basically... Hmm? He's been in pokey. Is that what you call it? That's what um, Omar calls it. 
Yeah, it does sound a bit wirish. Yeah. So it far. is quite. It, people do call it the uh, the UK's answer to the wire. Anyway. So basically, they're back in action and they're trying to become like top boys, as it were, again, to sort of like run the estate. They are, if you will, the Stringer Bell and kind of, uh, fuck, what's he called? Avon Barksdale of the Summer House estate. But they've got competition because some new lads have moved in, much like The Wire. Anyway, it's um, so, yeah, some of it will be very familiar in terms of that kind of thing. What I, th- I thought would be really, really glamorised, I thought it would be really, really sensationalist. What I actually was surprised by was how political a lot of it is. Obviously, the stuff that is going on in London at the moment, knife crime, whatever, gangs, blah, 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 is like sort of fairly familiar in terms of headlines. But also they touch on the Windrush scandal and basically the, there's a sort of subplot about immigration and how this leaves, like, the things that are going on in, in politically at the moment make these really, really young boys so vulnerable um, to gangs and, and things like that. And I actually think it's... Um, there. Some of the acting is fucking awful. I'm not going to lie about it. Some of it's really good. But I think it made me cry quite a lot. And my mate said to me, oh, it's because we're old and, like, more sensitive now. And I just think it's because you watch it and you're, like, in the current political climate, you're just aware that this shit is actually happening. It is something that is going on. And I think it's really, really good and well worth a watch if you like that kind of thing. Cool. Great. Um, You saying a fictional estate, it reminds me that I wanted to say that... Brassic is set in a fictional northern town called Hawley, which I would love to believe is named after Richard Hawley. Ah, uh, well, but Richard's Yorkshire and uh, Joe's Lancashire. I don't know. Maybe it is. There's no Maybe. Estate. Maybe. But War of the Roses, we're still not over it, are <laughs> <laughs> No. So, um, one more thing I did see some of it started last night, and that is something called World on Fire. Um, <laughs> Did, are, you, are you sure you weren't just looking out your window? <laughs> no, no, yeah, funnily enough. The historical drama about um, people living all over Europe during the start of the Second World War. I watched it because it's got Sean Bean in it. Is he dead now? Uh, no. Oh, and wow. he, he is a guy who is a, has a daughter and is about to live through a war. And I'm just watching it now to see whether he says... War's easier than daughters, again, because that would be amazing. Um, another Ned Starkism getting in there. Um, it's also got Leslie Manville, who looks like she's to get about to do a brilliant job, but I have to say the rest of it doesn't really appeal to me, so I'm not going to stick with it, but that is something else you might want to watch. Also uh, coming up soon is, do you remember when we met Sarah Phelps? She told us she was yeah. going over to Dublin to do the... the something on the Dublin murders oh yeah I saw yeah. she's been chatting about that on Twitter yeah that is on its way soon so hooray for that awesome I have discovered that all of Inside Number 9 is on Netflix so yep that's what I've been doing <laughs> <laughs> it's so good yeah I mean I know that's old news but always worth repeating so good <laughs> Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box